This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello, and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing, and today I'm joined by Chris McCabe, someone I've known for a few years, and Chris previously worked for Amazon for many years evaluating seller account performance and enforcing Amazon's policies. Today, Chris runs ecommercechris.com. He teaches sellers how to think like Amazon, protect their accounts, and appeal listing restrictions and suspensions. He provides expert advice that helps to inform and clarify important decisions around Amazon investments by those who sell through the site and other interested parties. Welcome to the show, Chris. Well, thanks for the intro. I appreciate it. Yeah, so we caught up a few weeks ago just to chat about what's new and trending in black hat techniques on Amazon and different ways that inventive and unscrupulous unscrupulous sellers right. <laughs> use to take each other down and compete with each other. And this is something that affects all levels of, of sellers and brands. There's a lot of money to be made on Amazon. And so it attracts the best and the worst types of operators. So I'd I'm really curious to hear from you what type of black hat nefarious tactics you're seeing that over the last year or so that are relatively new that brands should be aware of. Right. And I think you and I were talking about it mostly because we're still shocked and amazed to see these backend keywords, <laughs> sabotage of async contributions, getting people's listings suspended so easily. Yeah. So how does that happen? Well, you would think if you were in brand registry, which private label brands are trademark registered, they're in brand registry, you would think that would give you some more protection than what you get. Unfortunately, black hats and various stakeholders in the system have come to understand that they can sabotage a listing and get it suspended by adding, we call it illicit backend keyword abuse. They're adding nefarious keywords that'll be triggering Amazon's bots into vacant fields that perhaps the brand's flat files left, you know, left empty. Somebody's inserting a word into that by overwriting you know, your flat file syncing up to Amazon's API. And the async contribution they make is you know, adding the word pesticide, adding the word, it could be an illicit drug term, adding the word you know, marijuana. We've seen the phrase dagaweed being entered. It doesn't matter what the word is. There's so many that you can use, but it's a good way to sabotage your competition. And as I was speaking with you, and I'm just amazed that a year, a year and a half later, this loophole hasn't been closed. Amazon is totally aware of this. They weren't aware of it when we first flagged it for their attention. They're definitely very aware of it now. So, and this is the paradox, I think, where brand registry, the whole intent of it is once you're enrolled in brand registry, you submit paperwork to Amazon to show that you own the trademark, you're the brand owner and that you have the rights over the content that's put up on Amazon about your products once you're in brand registry. So why is this happening? I mean, you should have, that's really what brand registry is supposed to do. Why is there still this loophole, do you think? 
they haven't found the time or the tools to fix it, or they haven't, you know, invested the resources in fixing a gaping hole to correct a gaping hole in their process. You would think that this concept, we've heard it called brand exclusivity, would be widespread that allow you to apply for it, that offer it to you. Brand exclusivity, meaning you're locking out changes to your listings from any other brand, any other party. In the old days, there were backdoors in vendor central. So people who had vendor central managers, that's a bit of a long conversation, but people who had vendor central based loopholes could attack listings that way. Those were sort of closed and less popular because Amazon knew that everyone knew about that. So they had to do something about it. We're trying to figure out why they're not taking the same approach and fixing this. This seems like a similar problem. If there is such a concept as brand exclusivity, even if that's only a term known to Amazonians currently, why isn't that being offered to sellers to help them really protect their listings and to keep sellers and brands coming to people like me for help because there are some getting their listings attacked every week, depending on how lucrative that market is. Some of them every, every 48 hours are dealing with this. Obviously, I can't you know jump in every 48 hours. I mean, we do it for our long-term clients, but I get emails from people a couple of times a week. You know, it happened again, it happened again. Well, the best way to prevent it from happening is for somebody to dive into the root cause of this and fix it at, at the origin, not to just kind of swat at flies flying through the air with whatever idea comes into their head. There's no rhyme or reason to their solution so far. Trillion and a half dollar company probably has the resources, you know, the brains and the brawn to figure this out. They just haven't done it. Right. So it's just, it's a resourcing question, most likely. And so how... Resources and just competency at the top. I mean, perhaps the manager management team in charge of fixing this doesn't have the chops to do it and maybe they need to be replaced. So how can brands sort of track this happening and resolve it? And if you can tell us more about brand exclusivity and, and how brands can acquire that. They can't. That's the problem. They just need to start asking. If they've got an account manager, they have to start pushing their SAM, their strategic account manager, and asking questions about it. I don't even know of an anecdotal process. People are just requesting more information about it. I'm trying to determine if there's an anecdotal process for asking for it. We're still working on that. But if you're a big player in your category, you should be pushing category management. First of all, you should be getting to know your category manager. If you're not aware who that is, there's ways of researching it, but pushing them to understand how brand exclusivity can stop this abuse from happening. That's one approach. Obviously, if you're paying you know, $5,000 a month for a strategic account manager, you should probably loop them into your efforts to, to find out more or to apply, quote unquote, apply for brand exclusivity. Thirdly, you're hopefully reporting the abuse the right way, not just wasting time opening seller support cases, not sending stray emails to seller performance that if read aren't truly acted upon. So, you know, there's a lot that you can be doing to pressure abuse prevention teams, pressure them to act a bit more than they are instead of just, well, we reinstated your listing, have a nice day going back to them and saying, this has happened three or four times. What else are you doing to prevent our brand or our listing t- from being attacked? That's typically where Amazon falls silent and it's going to be up to you to shoulder the burden, burden to pressure them to move a bit more. Unfortunately, a lot of sellers don't understand these dynamics. I understand that, but they have to. Otherwise, they're going to waste a lot of time, effort, energy, and lose a lot of revenue 
you know, kind of stabbing around in the dark trying to hit something. And that's not the way you want to be going through Q4 or dealing with a suspended ASIN that might be your top selling SKU. So tell us about you're seeing a new ish trend around copyright violations and that being a tactic to take down competitors. How does that happen? Bogus copyright complaints are nothing new. We also saw lots of fake design or patent complaints. Those are being submitted to overwhelmed and poorly staffed infringement teams, notice teams at Amazon. Black hats and just competitor abuse familiar parties understand what these teams are like, how they operate. That seems to be publicly understood now. They unfortunately take forever. Part of the problem is this is a common black hat tactic because Amazon takes forever just to read these or to respond to them. So you start with the delay that's baked into it. Then also it's you, you would counter if it's a fake copyright complaint, you'd counter it with a DMCA counter notice. They've had a process established for that for years. It worked well in theory. In practice, it doesn't work well because it takes them a long time just to read your DMCA counter notice. And then also the party that complained about the copyright violation has 10 days from the day they're contacted by Amazon to respond to it and to defend their copyright claim. Naturally, if it's a fake claim, bogus complaint, those 10 days come and go and Amazon never hears from that party. There's nothing to defend. There was nothing substantial there to begin with. They know they're going to get you knocked off of that listing for at least 10 days minimum because of that 10-day DMCA counter notice process. And then if you layer in the fact that it takes Amazon 10 days to contact the would-be rights owner, then you're talking about 20 days of free revenue for whoever complained about you. That's what makes this exceedingly popular. We've seen people take 30 days to resolve it because 20 of those days were Amazon, you know, delaying backlog, chasing their own tails, ignoring things. That was the first 20 days. And then you add the 10 days of the actual clock ticking after they had contacted the other party. And then still beyond that, we've seen that the 10 days sometimes comes and goes where we knew that Amazon had contacted the other party and Amazon still didn't reinstate the listing on the 11th day. And we had to help sellers escalate that just to get the listing back up when the 10 days have come and gone. So they're not following their own process. They've delegated some of the work to would-be lower-level employees who aren't you know, adept at this sort of thing. It's not being managed properly. It's not being audited properly. And the result is what happens with black hats, right? They, they all flood into this area if they think all they have to do is make an accusation, accusation-only system of copyright and patent complaints. Then they know they just get a free shot at you. So that's another way Amazon's really just leaving brands unprotected. Yeah. And so if you're a brand facing one of these bogus claims, what's the most expedient way to resolve it? Escalation early and often. <laughs> That's the only way to handle it. After doing the initial appeal to say there's, you know, we own our own copyright to these images and to our, the text used in our listing. Here you go. Here's the documented proof of that. If it's going to be ignored, then sometimes actually even in that initial 10 days, escalations don't necessarily get the listing back up quicker. So you may still even lose those initial 10 days, but you can escalate it sooner than later and keep it to at least 10 days of damage as opposed to 20 or 30. We received a contact from a brand the other day who's been playing this game for six weeks. Oh, 
Ouch. So I don't even know. I don't know yet <laughs> if that's their top seller. I don't know exactly what amount of revenue they've lost, but it's not a small number. And it's because they kind of didn't know enough about what's going on, the backstory to it. And they were just wasting time with seller support or calling account health reps and account health reps were useless and they had no real strategy. So I guess the words of wisdom here are, you know, create your strategy now before this hits, because if you're kind of floundering or running around with your head cut off, you're not going to understand what's going on around you. And that means you don't know how to strategize the solution. Yeah, that's a great point. So this happened to a client of ours at at Bobsled and we helped that client to just submit back to Amazon a package of documentation, like you said, showing ownership of the images, showing ownership of that, yeah, of that content. And it was, thankfully, it was resolved along that timeline. The documentation was accepted and that was the end of the story. Unfortunately, like you said, that product was out of action for that time. And so, yeah, the point around prevention is a good one. So having your product photos and and copy sort of time stamped and showing proof of of ownership through who took those products, photos and things like that to make sure that you've got that paper trail that you own those photos, you own the the copy, etc. Mhm. Yeah, I mean documenting, you know, attaching things that they may or may not open and review is essential because if you're just making a statement, this is a fake complaint, reinstate my listing, which is what a lot of people do when they open a seller support case. What does that generate? Either a non-response by Amazon or just a copy and paste response. You still have not sent us enough information. You know, those messages back that get the contact out of the queue, which is like what their objective is, is to show that they've answered you, not to not to show that they answered right. you well. Yep. Number one. Number two, you know, those messages have no value because they don't tell you anything. So you have to do that other step anyway. So why bother? You know, why bother doing that? Unfortunately, more of what more and more of what we do every year for sellers is escalation based because more and more of Amazon's responses are copy and paste generic that don't look like there's any audit trail. I don't think anyone's investigating the quality of those account reviews, appeal reviews, ASIN reviews. I think these teams are just kind of left to fend for themselves. You know, the kids have no parental supervision seems to be the order of the day at Amazon right now. And they're not doing the real work. They're just shoving this stuff that you send in back out at you with copy and paste canned templates. And that's all you get when you appeal through either email queues or seller central, I don't know, 50, 60% of the time. So if that's all you're going to get back, then that means the escalation avenue is the only real viable option. Let's talk about there's a trial coming up around some black hat tactics that have been used and this was this was surfaced a few months ago, I believe. And I remember reading through the September twenty twenty, I think, was the indictment oh, a, by the, a year the federal ago. investigators. Wow. Time yeah. flies. Yeah, I think it was postponed because of the COVID situation. I think the trial would have been a year ago ish, but it seems to be coming up now. So Yeah, so interesting reading if you've got a spare hour to read through a couple hundred pages of the indictment, but it was a claim into a number of solution providers and sellers on Amazon with some pretty outrageous stuff going on, like cash being transported 
in taxis, in in briefcases, Uber, and things yeah. like that. Uber. But yep. a big piece of it was around Stuffed animals filled with cash. Don't forget the llama <laughs> filled with cash sitting on some child's bed. Oh so. my gosh, it would make a great movie. But yeah, a lot of it centered around internal sabotage through Amazon employees. And I'm curious, just from your perspective, how much I think how much of this sabotage really happens through internal networks of Amazon employees versus just sort of loopholes in the system that haven't been closed yet. Yeah, and it's hard to say percentage-wise or you know data-driven <laughs> answers. It's a mixture of both. We know that from the indictment, how much continuing ongoing investigation by either federal investigators or Amazon will limit that sort of abuse. I mean, it certainly hasn't stopped. We know that since the indictment and, and with this trial coming up, it hasn't discouraged anyone from doing it. It hasn't gone away. So we know that for a fact. Otherwise, I would not continue to be deluged with these kinds of comments, you know, complaints from sellers who are getting attacked. But a couple of different things are going on. One is that, and if you read the indictment, you see that people were kind of bragging about what they were doing and showing screenshots of the internal tools and screenshots of, of things happening live on the site just to brag about it. If we didn't have that bragging and that noise, a lot of it would have stayed under wraps, even though it, it had been going on for years. But the description of the behavior in the indictment shows you that employees were involved in taking listings down in adding different things to detail pages. So these were publicly visible, like consumers would see that information. Well, how is that happening? Obviously, not everyone can edit somebody else's detail page live on the site. Most of that was employees getting paid to do it by one brand to attack another. So the extent to which that's still going on, I mean, we're aware that Amazon's trying to track that behavior down. Hard to know exactly how many people they're catching, terminating. We, we know this is going on in the background as the, as the indictment you know, was released and then as the trial's coming up. It's still happening. That's the real key is that that indictment isn't scaring anyone. It's not fooling anyone. Black hats that can profit, like you said, there's a lot of money to be made here. <laughs> there's a lot of greed and black hat and fraudster behavior. I mean, this is the reason I joined Amazon in the first place was as a fraud investigator to prevent that stuff in the early days of the buyer-seller marketplace. So those parties will always be out there. It's a question of what kind of access and you know what kind of opportunity you give them by turning a blind eye or by not having the tools and teams in place to limit the damage or to stop it entirely. So that kind of sabotage still exists. Other than backend keyword abuse, which can be accomplished, you know, by overwriting, you know, syncing up to Amazon's API, overwriting other flat file contributions to that ASIN with your own. I mean, that's something that can be accomplished from outside the company. A lot of what we work on for other kinds of brand abuse to detail pages and getting listings flagged for listing violations and product detail page abuse, copyright abuse, and so forth, that does involve people who are inside the company who are doing things they're not supposed to be doing. So that's going to be an ongoing effort inside Amazon, just like it is at other companies. I would imagine other Fortune 500 companies are dealing with whatever we want to call that corporate <laughs> espionage, sabotage, incentivized actions. It's it's not, you know, new to United States based corporations. It's not really new anywhere in the world. 
but it's playing out differently on Amazon because of the nuances of e-commerce. So I think every brand needs to have a strategy knowing that somebody might be out there who knows how to pull these different levers and negatively impact their competitors' uh, brand presence on Amazon, even if it's a little murky, even if you don't know exactly which channel you need to employ every time you get attacked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're not selling much of a product, if your ASIN is low, you're a new brand, you've got one or two products, they're not selling, you know, leaps and bounds just yet, then maybe this doesn't impact you yet. But anyone that has a successful brand is visible. And there are eyeballs tracking them, watching them, trying to copy what they're doing, trying to sell what they sell. Well, that's great. You can counterfeit somebody else's brand, but you know, brands can get counterfeits knocked out of the marketplace a little bit easier now than they could before. What's a better way is this, <laughs> sabotaging them from listing things. From what I've seen, there's the products and brands that are too small. They're kind of flying under the radar and not really subject to targeting. And then there's the really, you know, there's P&G and Unilever brands that are also less likely to be the subject of abuse because they're big, you know, they're going to really respond quickly and with a lot of force if something like this happens. It's that messy middle of products that are pretty, that are selling really well where the the operator of, the, of that brand might not be as large and sophisticated as a sophisticated as an enterprise company or at least not have that at least not present that big presence it's the middle ground these sellers and brands who might be a little smaller with smaller brands that become the victim of these attacks yeah and It'll be interesting because then you also see there are these consolidator or aggregator, brand aggregator companies that are buying these. I mean, they tend to focus on the middle, the smaller and the middle range brands. So as they start representing, I mean, there are some large aggregators that have hundreds of brands under their umbrella now. It'll be interesting to see what happens when companies that are worth, you know, hundreds of millions or low, low billions have a brand that, that would be getting attacked in this crude, crazy way, you know, will they be treated with a bit more respect than, than the mid-level brand that's on their own? Will Amazon care more? Will they show more interest knowing that they're dealing with a company with a billion dollar valuation that's got a brand that's being attacked by some black hats and the complaints and the appeals are being ignored? Because that's why we get involved in like, you know, if brands are able to open a case or send one email and solve this, which occasionally I guess they say they can, then we wouldn't hear about it so much and we wouldn't have to be hired to get involved in it. The fact that they keep coming to us is really, you know, translated. Amazon isn't protecting them and isn't responding to them. And just largely there's so much quantity of this going on. Amazon isn't actively working to address it in any meaningful way. I know Amazon's working to address it. I think we, we can all guess that. In any significant, meaningful way that won't take 18 months of numerous brands that don't maybe necessarily have the resources to fight back struggling with it? No. I mean, I think we could project right on through early 2023 that this might still be going on unless there's meaningful action taken. Yeah. And you and I have been talking about different tactics that have been used by these black hat 
players for years, years and years. And it's one tactic now and it's another tactic next year and it's a it's a systemic, you know, systemic evolution because there's money to be made by doing this and there's money to be made by taking out a competitor, unfortunately. So, Chris. Yeah, Amazon's inaction is incentivizing those who profit from Black Hat, which they were already profiting from it. Once they see that it's going to work long term, they're going to keep doing it until Amazon stops them. I mean, it's that yeah. simple. Well, yeah, exactly. So, Chris, you're the guy that people call when things go wrong, I guess. <laughs> right. Money's being lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And you provide a really valuable service because when things like this happen, they need to be resolved immediately. Otherwise, you're going to be losing losing credibility, losing a lot of money if your listings are down, your account's down. So how can people get in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I can be reached by email. That's I'm pretty good with that. Chris, C-H-R-A-S at ecommercechris.com. Also, just our website as a contact form, ecommercechris.com. And especially during Q4, that's the time of year where, you know, we're kind of always at the ready and seasoned and, and you know, Q4 peak holiday battle ready for anything that comes up because we understand that there's often a timeline that's different from the rest of the year. So people should feel free to reach out with urgent issues, knowing that we already understand that they're losing double or triple the amount of revenue that they do. And unfortunately, that's where there's more attacks, right? Black hats know they can inflict more pain on you at this time of year. So they probably put a little bit more sophisticated planning into them. And they've also got a contingency plan. If you're able to get your ASIN back up right away, maybe they'll even think you know how to report abuse well, they'll be ready for that. And they'll have a second or third move. And you have to kind of think of this like a chessboard. This is not just one and done. Otherwise, like I said, we wouldn't work with brands that are getting hit eight, nine, 10 times. It was only because I work with brands that have been attacked so many times that I explored this whole brand exclusivity project or program, but it's so behind the wall. (laughs) You know, we all need to, there's only so much, well, I mean, we all need to learn more about it. Brands especially need to be advocating and lobbying for it wherever they can, not just one particular team. I heard about it incidentally, just from talking to, I would say, mostly ex-Amazonians, not current Amazonians, but they were in touch with Amazonians. And they're aware that brand exclusivity in some way, shape, or form exists, even as an internal tool to lock others from negatively impacting and sabotaging your listings. So once we know that that's a reality, we know it's something that needs to be shared with brands to help them protect themselves because brand registry doesn't. So that's the sort of next frontier for 2022 is what is this brand exclusivity? If there's a term that's different, if that's an internal to Amazon term and we need to use another term, fine. You know, nomenclature we can get into later for the moment. How can people get access to it? Yeah. Or when is Amazon going to fix (laughs) fix brand registry so it can't happen? Yeah, well, that's a a question that might drive you crazy. Locking out changes from nefarious parties seems like a basic right and privilege as an Amazon seller and as a brand. I don't have a good answer for why in 18 to 24 months that hasn't been presented. So we'll have to find out. Well, in the meantime, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. I'll see you around. Yeah, thank you for having me.